I'm Reg Harbeth, and today I'm here with Pat Stannard, who is the Chief Mainframe Architect for Kindle US, which is, in my opinion, a pretty impressive title. Pat, great to meet you. Tell me, how did you end up in the world of mainframe? Hey, Reg. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for taking the time to chat. I'm uh, looking forward to our discussion here. And it's funny, uh, with me in the mainframe, um, I kind of fell into it, to be honest with you. Oh. Uh, yeah, I was taking um, really classes uh, at a, a community college, and uh, I thought I wanted to be an accountant. And uh, after about three classes uh, in accounting, I realized that I really didn't like it very much. In fact, I hated it. And so <laughs> I uh, signed up to take a, a COBOL programming class. And um, what I found was that the COBOL programming was something I really enjoyed. And uh, the uh, community college that I was attending had a uh, a small mainframe system at the time. And, uh, and so I, I began to, you know, write code in COBOL and loved it. And so that uh, kind of began my, uh, my experience really with mainframes at that point. Well, that's so interesting. You know, a lot of the conversations I've been having recently about the mainframe and about COBOL is how their Achilles heel in many ways is the greatest strength. And that is they were not made for computer people. They were made for business people. You know, that COBOL was designed for people who think like accountants. You know, secretaries, administrators, accountants, that sort of thing. And and so I can really see that that would be something that, you know, on, on the one hand, I like to say, you know, no accounting for taste, which clearly you had, or no taste for accounting, but that you had that aptitude. And so it just mapped naturally a COBOL. That's kind of cool. So so now that was, um, uh, was that a course or was that a job or how did it become a job? Yeah, it was a course. It was a course at the time. Um, you know, I, I finished my education there and uh, uh, actually went on to, um uh, uh, really become a, a computer operator really with uh, Unisys mainframes at the time. Oh. They were Unisys mainframes, or the, but the boroughs. And specifically, there were the, 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 um, the Unis A15 systems. And before that, there was a boroughs, uh, gosh, I think it was a 3900 or something like that. And so as a, uh, as a computer operator, and this was for Michigan Bell Telephone at the time, phone mm. company. And so we had four large-scale Unisys mainframes at the time. Uh, I later on went on to run uh, IBM mainframes and Amdahl mainframes, but at that time, uh, I, I was working third shift. I was a, a young man with, uh, with long hair and, um, and uh, enjoying life, and, uh, and so uh, I started uh, writing. I would get my work done on third shift with all the batch processing that we were doing for, for the phone company, and I would have a couple hours before the online started, and the first shift came in. So uh, I started taking more classes around um, uh, programming and specifically COBOL. So I started writing the, the, co the programs I needed to write on, uh, on, the, on the Michigan Bell telephone uh, mainframes, which I had permission to do, and I actually started writing various code uh, applications for the phone company. So that's kind of how I cool. learned how I fell into COBOL was, uh, was through my first experience with, uh, with mainframe systems. Very cool. So now um, uh, you worked at that job as an operator, and I, I sort of feel some foreshadowing that you started moving into a, actually a paid programming position, but they were actually programming being paid for another position first. How did that all happen? Yeah, I was, I was at the time I had been hired as a computer operator, and I was on third shift. Uh, that's where they put all the new computer operators because you've got a lot of experience mm. uh, there, and it was very busy. And then uh, from there, I, I took a job as a uh, really as a support analyst for the phone company, which was providing technical support uh, to, to the mainframes, not only Unisys, but also IBM mainframes at the time. And uh, from there, um, 
another facet of that job was I, I noticed there were, there were developers in COBOL that was there too. So from there, I, I moved over to another role for about, uh, oh, geez, I wrote code. Really, most of the, most of the COBOL code I was writing was, was to process uh, uh, really f- uh, phone bills for the, for the company and, uh, and uh, print arrangements where they would print everything on site at the point. And so I did a lot of, a lot of code around um, really the processing of phone bills, basically. And so I was, I was hired on as a, as a developer, and I, I did that for, uh, I, I think, four or five years writing COBOL um, for the Unisys mainframes at the time. So that's kind of how I got into it. I liked it really well, uh, but I got to a point I wanted to go deeper. And so that's kind of when I got, went back into the, really the field of mainframe support as of that point. Okay. So at this point, you're still dealing with non-IBM mainframes, which is really interesting because you know, so often when I talk to people, you know, we, we focus exclusively on IBM and plug compatible like the Amdahl mainframes. Uh, but to have had that background, how did you end up transitioning into IBM from there? Yeah, it's, it's funny, um, Raj, you know, I, I was a 34-year employee with IBM, but I never was really ever, uh, I never really applied for a job there. So mm. from the phone company, the phone company, um, uh, they outsourced to really IBM Global Services at the oh. time, and so I became an IBM employee. They they bridged all my time, and from there, I uh, they they had actually hired me into a, a, man, a technical manager role to to run uh, run a couple of areas uh, as they supported the IBM contract for Michigan Bell Telephone. So um, along that time. Um, you know, I continued to do development. I continued to do, uh, you know, various mainframe roles, but on the Unisys mainframes. But at that point, I was actually headhunted by Candle Corporation out of California. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, uh, I had a young family. It was a great opportunity. So I took the role and I went to work for Candle Corporation. And at Candle Corporation, I got deep into uh, various, their various solutions, like a Megamon, for mm-hmm. instance, all right. various Megamons, right? And it was a tremendous company to work for. Um, and so from, from, from there, um, Candle, you know, sold back to IBM uh, and their, their owner, Aubrey Chernak, had uh, decided to retire and sold the company and ended up being an IBM employee again. And again, they bridged my time <laughs> and, and I stayed there for a number of years, really in their Tivoli area, because that's kind of where they placed the IBM, or I should right. say the, the uh, Omega Mon solutions at that point. You can always get such a kick out of Tivoli. Um, I, I worked for a competitor of IBM at the time when Tivoli was really making a big time. And I remember that we had a conference and they were driving around with like cabs had Tivoli on top of them to you know, just kind of be in your face. But for me, I, I love the the implicit um, uh, subtle marketing of Tivoli because if you say it backwards, it's I love it. You know, and I've always thought that was a, a sort of, you know, that IBM may have chosen to stick with that particular brand because it had that, that really interesting resonance to it and put so many of the other products under that brand. Uh, but I mean, Omega Bond is such an important part of the history of the mainframe. And of course, its competitors, you know, all the performance management products are just such deep parts of the texture. You know, they're all such amazing products. But that said, I, I, I sense that you, you're dealing with not just Omega Bond, but a wide range of, of, um, uh, of Candle products. So when they came on board with IBM, I'm going to guess you had a new role that sort of took that into account. Yeah, it really did, because IBM at the point bought... Uh, Omega Mon because they they needed a, a bulletproof monitor to replace mm. some of their tools and the IBM uh, well what, what what went on to really be the IBM um, 
a mega mine offering. Uh, it, it's a, it really was a bulletproof offering. And it was mm. uh, just at that time, about 90% of the world's mainframes had some candle product on it. Mm. And typically it was Omega Mon. So Omega Mon was used to, uh, to, to do a lot of the systems monitoring in various levels. You know, I mean, there's different flavors of Omega Mon that's out there depending on what you're trying to monitor. And so it became a, a key piece, you know, for Omega Mon or for IBM, even today, it, it's the same thing. Mm. Now, so your journey continued at IBM. Now, did you uh, leave IBM again, or did you pretty much stay with IBM until they uh, split off Kindrel? Yeah, no, I stayed at IBM. And uh, from there, um, I, I really ended up, uh, at one point, uh, I, I managed a, uh, a, uh, an architect team, a Z-Client architect team for a period of time. Uh, there was a period of time where I decided, uh, I had some changes in my life, and I decided to take a role. Uh, it really was a global role, and it was the... Uh, I was really managing the uh, IBM Technical Exploration Centers. And at IBM at the time, I don't know, they had something like 90 technical exploration centers virtually and brick and mortar sites around the world. So I began to manage those. And the IBM Technical Exploration Centers really was an area where um, the, uh, the IBM employees, the sales staff especially, would bring customers in for demonstrations on software. Uh, as well as they could even do some things around hardware as well too. But it was an interesting job. Um, I had a, uh, I, I was asked the one year I was asked to do a, a complete a presentation on a, on a specific topic around the technical exploration centers and some of the technology on IBM mainframes. And I, I wrote the presentation. They said, uh, I, with the full idea, I was going to actually send it to the marketing team and they were going to take it and run with it. Well, suddenly I got a phone call and I said, Hey, they said, Hey, Pat, um, the guy that's going to do this presentation uh, that you wrote is sick, and uh, I need you to come to Bogota, Florida, um, and, and actually go ahead and, and present it there. And I said, yeah, sure. So I went, I, went, I went down there to Florida, did the presentation to about 200 people. It went really well. I flew back home, and next thing you know, I got a phone call saying, hey, Pat, uh, the presentation was good. Uh, we'd like you to go to uh, Melbourne, Australia. And uh, Oh, wow and present there. So I did. I spent about 10 days out there at the Technical Exploration Center. From there, I got back and they said, hey, Pat, uh, we need you to go to uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina. Okay. Right. So, I, so I went to Buenos Aires, Argentina. Um, anyway, uh, long story short, I ended up also in uh, in the UK, uh, in, uh, in, in Paris, in uh, mm. uh, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, uh, all in Canada, all in one year. And so it was an interesting experience because I got a chance to really, uh, you know, talk to people about the technical exploration centers and why they're important and, um, and how they can be used. And, and so um, that was kind of an exciting year for me because I did a lot of travel, you know, at that point. Well, you probably got some pretty serious status with your uh, favorite airline there. <laughs> I did. I did that year. I did so much travel. Oh, my gosh. I was always sitting. It seems like I, I was always getting bumped in the first class, you know. And, mm. yeah, oh, that's a nice experience. Was, all that kind of stuff. So, so anyway, after that, I came back. And um, uh, that was about a two and a half year assignment. I came back and they wanted me to run a, uh, an architect team, the mainframe architect team. Uh, and it was on the IBM software side at the time. So, so I took over a team of uh, what they call Z client architects that provided technical support for, for the salespeople at the time to sell IBM software solutions. And uh, so again, uh, back on heavy on IBM mainframes. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I continued to do that for another, uh, I guess it was another six years, roughly. I think I, I did that. Oh. Um, yeah, so from there, <laughs> um, 
I saw that there was a lot of changes coming and there was a, a, an architect role available uh, in IBM GTS at the time and to support mainframes. And uh, so I took actually a role as an individual contributor at the time and uh, took the role as, as an IBM mainframe architect, uh, IBM GTS mainframe architect, uh, got myself certified at uh, level three thought leader with IBM and also a distinguished engineer with the open group and began to support customers. And so I supported customers from an architectural perspective, building mainframes, building virtual tape subsystems, building DASD, FICON directors, whatever we needed to have done for the customer. So from there, it, it, it's kind of rolled into what I'm doing now, again, with uh, with the chief architect role for Kindrel uh, US. Now, it, it, geography is clearly been a really big part of your journey. And I'm kind of curious, have you continued to live in the Eastern time zone the, old time, the whole time, or have you sort of had to move house a bit? Yeah, I, I've continued to live in the Eastern time zone. I, I used to be a complete road warrior where I was all over the map. There were times when I didn't know what time it was, it seemed like when I was mm. landing someplace. And mm. some weeks I was traveling, I might have three flights in one week, and I was leaving on Sunday, coming back on late Friday night usually. And so that was a road warrior time for me, which was important to get out to see customers, important to get out to see, you know, uh, my staff and different people. But I'm, uh, I'm kind of glad I'm done with that, to be honest with you, Reg, because that was tough. <laughs> Oh yeah, I, I I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, I I had a few years when I flew over a hundred thousand miles, and, and and you know no matter what you do to stay in touch with your family. Of course, these days Zoom makes it a bit easier, but those days it was like I even had my own one eight hundred number just to make it easier to call home and bill it all. Um, so I, I I get what you're talking about. It's it sure is nice. There's no place like home. Uh, That's right. Where where is home for you, if I may ask? Uh, well, it's an interesting question because home is really uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hmm. We we have a townhouse down there. And uh, we also just bought a small condo up in uh, Columbus, Ohio. And the reason we did that is because we have uh, two wonderful grandchildren. We have a four-year-old and a two-year-old uh, with mm. my daughter and her family down in Charlotte. And then in Columbus, Ohio, my son's here with his family. And uh, he has two daughters here, a four-year-old and a one-year-old daughter. So we, we realized that, you know, my daughter wasn't moving to Columbus and my son wasn't moving to Charlotte. So we figured the next best thing to do would be yeah. to get a small place. So we, we have two homes now, which we love. So it's, it's really a lot of fun. And you probably don't have to pay for a hotel at share if you don't want to. That's right. I'm staying right here. That's right. Ah, nice. Very nice. Yeah. Well, that's, that's cool. You remind me a bit of uh, when I chatted with uh, Len recently, I went to Santa Lucia. Uh, who, who basically had the, the two houses in Endicott and in Manhattan, and now he's sort of moving to another one. Uh, but you know, being uh, in Charlotte, I'm going to guess you know a lot of my favorite people. For example, I bet you know Rosalind. Yes, I do. Radcliffe, yes. yes. I knew you wouldn't even need the last name. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That is yep. so cool. Um, now, the, I mean, one of the neat things about IBM, it's, it's clearly uh, a definitive part of human history. And so when you're at IBM, you're actually part of human history. You must have some, some anecdotal stories of your own journey. That, that really made you really appreciate how working for IBM is literally being part of human history. Any particular experience that, that kind of come to mind? Well, um, you know, I, I was with IBM for a number of years and it was interesting just seeing the, uh, the advances in mainframe technology, you know, uh, from some of the, you know, some of the earliest ones, IBM 360-40s, uh, up, up through the, you know, various Z-series boxes up to the current mm. Z16. Quite, quite a change, you know. Um, oh, yeah. They always, they always say that one of the things we do is, you know, we, we say, and, and I hate the word mainframe modernization. I hate that topic. Oh my gosh. I hear you. It, it's mainframe optimization and its application. Mm. 
modernization. And because right, someone right. tells me, oh, the mainframe's dead, the mainframe's not going <laughs> to work. You know, those are people that don't know the mainframe and don't fully understand and appreciate the optimization mm -hmm. that's been put into the technology over the years. Oh. So just seeing the, the history of, of, of the actual uh, mainframe boxes grow over the years has been, you know, a pretty incredible. I can tell you one little anecdote. I remember there was some, uh, there was some uh, IBM uh, DASD, uh, in fact, they would call them disk packs at that point, and uh, where you, they were removable. And so mm. versus uh, where you, you literally had to go and unscrew a drive and lift the media up and take it over and put it in another drive at, at one point when I was, you know, in the, uh, in the early on in the computer room. So, you know, we've come a long way to the current flash, oh, yeah. you know, drives and things like that that we have available now for, you know, mainframe storage, for instance, and the cloud, not to mention the cloud uh, as well, too, is, is a huge part of that, too. So I, so that, I, I guess that's where I would go with that question. Now, of course, you've also been part of a, another really historic thing IBM has done is that they've divested that that giant part of who they were, Kindrel. And, and you know, in some ways, it's it, it's uh, not really becoming non-IBM. You guys had this incredible IBM depth of history, and and so part of your identity. And yet, you now have a new identity you're able to fashion. And you personally have been given an opportunity to be part of building that identity. Uh, how has that transition been for you? Yeah, great question. And I'll tell you, I'm I I couldn't be more excited to be honest with you. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know for sure what I wanted to do, you know, when they made the announcement about NUCO before we really even had the name Kindrel. Mm, right. I wasn't sure, but after talking to a number of people, um, I, I decided, you know, this could be a fun ride, you know, to actually help mm. build that, this company out, build Kindrel out to the company we want it to be. And I'll tell you, uh, Reg, the one thing I, I really like about Kindrel is that they really care about their people and they really want you to, uh, to excel and, and do well. And so from day one, we've really seen that. And now Kindle's still building out. We've got a ways to go, but sure. we're making some really, really good progress. And so one of the things, you know, we've done, um, you know, in, 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 with my organization is uh, one, of the, one of the things I was asked to do by our then CTO, uh, Emmy Olson, was to uh, develop a mainframe strategy for Kendrill US. Hmm. And so I grabbed uh, two of my peers, um, John Schumann, who's now uh, a new DE of mainframe for Kendrill, as well as Jim Zell, who's a, a principal architect of complex accounts. And we, we, we teamed up and we created this strategy that really of, of how we want to take the mainframe forward. And really, uh, we tried, we want to make it simple because it doesn't have to be extremely complicated. And so we really developed 10 specific mainframe capabilities. And we have this driven driven by something called uh, what we kind of uh, trademarked uh, uh, Kindrel uh, mainframe insight assessments. And each assessment is a two to four week um, engagement, short-term consulting engagement with our customers. And they, they cover key areas, things like um, the enterprise, uh, cybersecurity, uh, performance, storage, and it goes on and on. There's like 10 of them. And what we find is that by having the freedom with Kindrel to actually, mm. you know, be ourselves and, 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 right. and make things understandable and take it forward and try to eliminate the bureaucracy, we, we're getting great traction with this right now because customers want to talk to us. They want to hear about this. So I would say that the nice, exciting thing about Kindrel is the fact that we have the freedom you know, um, they want mm -hmm. us to succeed. They care about their people, and we've got a ways to go. But uh, but but we're in the right direction, as I see it right now. Well, certainly, one of the ways that IBM has given you freedom is that you don't sort of feel beholden to IBM products. And so, although you have a great appreciation for their quality, 
you're able to interact with the whole ecosystem, including the, the wonderful competitors. You know, and, and each of these areas where IBM is a strong mainframe product, quite often there's a really strong one or more competitors as well. And so you have that, that flexibility of choosing what fits any given context. That must be a really freeing experience as well. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Reg. And what, what I find is that, you know, we are IBM's largest business partner right now. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, and vice versa, you know, so we, it, it, it's a relationship uh, that's good. You know, we have a lot of resources and things we can reach out to and, and work with IBM with. And, and conversely, IBM can reach out to us as, as they need services, uh, you know, for their customers as well, too. So, yeah, it, it's, it's a business partnership uh, relationship that continues to evolve and, and, and we're, we're in the right direction, I think, there as well, too. Um, so it, it, it makes it exciting, you know, and also too, we, we have, we are, are really, our whole mantra is with, uh, the idea that we want to do what's right for the customer, you know, mm. and so that it does involve our business partners. We have a business partner network that's being built out, uh, that's getting stronger all the time. But, uh, number one, you know, the, the beautiful thing about the Kindrel role here is in the, the organization I'm in is that as we're talking to our customers, if the customer tells us they want to stay on the mainframe, that's all they want. That's fine. We can help you there. Mm. Maybe they want a hybrid arrangement with the mainframe and hybrid cloud, hyperscalers. Hey, we can help you there. Um, mm. Maybe you want to get off the mainframe. We can help you there. So it's whatever the customer wants, whatever the direction they want to go, we're okay with. And we want to do the right thing for the customer uh, so that they can, uh, you know, optimize their investment in the mainframe. Well, you know, I... Uh... One of the senses I get from talking with you is that you have very deliberately engaged yourself with the mainframe context in a, in a sense of, of building it. And so as you take a look to the future of the mainframe, the makeout mainframe ecosystem, and just the large enterprise competing ecosystem, what are some of your thoughts about where it can and should go and how you'd like to contribute to that being the case? Yeah, um, again, that's an exciting question. And I'll, I'll tell you, I'll back it up a step by saying, um, I'm, I, there's two other things I do that I really enjoy, and it supports really your question. Um, I, I'm, a, uh, I'm, a I'm a published technical author, and uh, cool. uh, I've written a lot of articles with Tech Channel, with Destination Z, uh, mm -hmm. with the IBM Systems Group. I've written 21 articles, and these articles, uh, the last two articles, um, I, I, I partner occasionally with people as well, too, and they support things like our strategy and in the direction we want to go. So I use that as a specific way to generate conversation. So as far as where the mainframe is going, you know, these articles touch on uh, disruptive topics, a lot of them, which I really enjoy mm. writing about, such as like quantum computing. I've done a couple articles mm. on quantum computing, which uh, is a fascinating topic. So you can see in the future, uh, IBM has released a quantum system. And I was talking to a gentleman, he was a PhD, um, at a, um, a really at a, a medical um, university slash uh, hospital in in, uh, mm -hmm. in Cleveland, and uh, they were going to be taking really uh, basically the first uh, delivery of, of an IBM quantum system, which is going to definitely be in the future. We look at things like mm -hmm. quantum safe algorithms, for instance, that that needed to be right. put into place to protect our mainframe systems against quantum computing. Whereas the quantum computer, quantum computer really for this particular customer is going to be doing things like uh, trying to uh, trying to uh, predict uh, better outcomes for diagnoses for various diseases and things like that. So that's an area where we're going. The mainframe is going to continue to shrink in, in footprint. It's going to continue to get stronger and faster and, and even more resilient. I mean, when you're talking the uh, basically you know the, the seven nines of, of uptime of three seconds of downtime mm. a year. 
you know, that the systems are so powerful and, and so resilient. Uh, so I think we're going to continue to see a lot of that in the future. And, um, you know, I think it's going to be really a, uh, it's going to evolve, I think, more towards mm. hybrid type computing as well, too. Well, you know, it's, it's cool. You mentioned mainframe shrinking and footprint. And I get such a kick out of the, the I think it was the Z15 had that, what I call the Cinderella footprint, where it fit onto a single tile. You know, what, what a brilliant uh, customer-focused innovation. You know, but but to think, you know, that as the amount of mainframe computing power in the world continues to grow, that, that you get a nearly division by zero thing happening because not only the mainframe becomes smaller, but it becomes negligible in terms of the space it takes up in many customer sites because it becomes virtualized. So it because it's the perfect platform for cloud computing, you know, and so to, to be part of that where the mainframe sort of goes entirely into hyperspace, as Isaac Asimov might say. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, for sure. So that's crazy. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, any any closing thoughts that you you have? Any uh, thoughts you want people to sort of keep in their minds? Yeah. The only thing I would say is uh, the the other the other uh, love of mine really is teaching, and uh, mm. I'm a um, I'm an affiliate professor at Wentworth Institute of Technology out of Boston, where I've authored mainframe classes. I have one I call Enterprise Computing. That's basically uh, System Z 101, and it's been uh, overbooked for five years now. And then I've also just just completed a. Uh, a draft of a um, of a uh, master's certificate around mainframe studies that would include things like cool. interim COBOL as well as mainframe architecture. So I would just like to say that uh, the education of of mainframe uh, with our young people in college is so important and must be uh, really supported and, uh, and 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 we need to continue to do that. And I can see that I've taught mm. over seven hundred students now. And they really enjoy it. You can just see the lights come on. Um, and and as, as part of this, too, the, the other thing we've recently done is, is uh, Kendall uh, really uh, this year uh, has a, uh, an internship program where they've had mm. something like, I don't know, 85 interns. Out of that, I've had five mainframe interns uh, that are just completing a 12-week uh, course study that we've developed for them. And uh, it's just exciting, Reg, seeing these kids just light mm. up and learn more and more about uh, mainframes. Oh, yeah. And so that's our future. We need to continue to uh, push our education and to make sure people understand really, you know, what a mainframe is all about and why it's important to the world economy, really. Well, I'm going to blow my own horn for just a second here. Have you found any good mainframe textbooks that you found really helpful as part of you teaching your courses? Uh, <laughs> there you go. Yes, I see. I see. Absolutely. Yep. 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 I know that one. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Uh, for those who don't have, like, we're not recording the video portion, of course, uh, but uh, that Dr. Cameron, say, David, Boys, Carl, Eric Stemfors, and I, uh, who have a very close connection to IBM, you probably know some, if not all of them. I do. Uh, I we, do. we wrote a, a mainframe textbook called An Introduction to Enterprise Systems, which is available virtually as a, a publication. And some people are coming to my session at, at Share to get an autograph. But I just want to make sure that the people who are doing education on the mainframe are aware that there are some great resources. And Pat, I'm going to guess you probably have a, a whole set of really excellent resources for people to to really educate well on the mainframe. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, I, I I I do I do know your book, and I know doc, Dr. Cameron Say was was also one of the authors in that. And uh, yeah, that's something I, I I need to really probably begin to incorporate that in my enterprise computing class. I guess maybe we'll be talking further, Reg. Well, I'll definitely be chatting with you at Share. Uh, Pat, this has been excellent. Thank you so much for taking the time. I've really enjoyed this. Uh, and um, I look forward to, to chatting further. So that said, I'll be back with another podcast next month. But in the meantime, check out the other content on Tech Channel. You can also subscribe to the weekly newsletters, webinars, ebooks, solutions directory, and more on the subscription page. I'm Reg Harvick.